Welcome to Inspiring People and Places, where we interview national leaders in the architectural, engineering, construction, and development industry in an effort to educate, innovate, and inspire industry professionals to disrupt the status quo, improve their project teams, and steward public and private investments more effectively. I'm your host, BJ Kramer, President and CEO of MCFA. Allow me to introduce today's guest. Hey, everybody. We are back. Really excited about today's guest. We, we've talked with a bunch of veterans. We've talked with former district engineers or Corps of Engineers district commanders. We've talked with healthcare engineers. And today we have a transportation engineering exec, a good friend of ours, a partner of MCFA's, Mike Venuto, the chief engineer of the Delaware River Port Authority. Mike, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you very much, PJ. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me on the podcast. I've listened to some of the previous podcasts and they're very informative and I appreciate the opportunity to share some time with you today. Uh, it's awesome to have you and, and we're going to get into a lot, but Mike, the first part, we always talk about the career path, but before we talk about your career path to the chief engineer role at, at DRPA, can you just give us a quick overview of what you're doing now as the chief engineer and what DRPA does? Yeah, so we are a bi-state transportation agency. So we own four major bridge crossings here in the South Jersey, Philadelphia region. So we own the Commodore Barry, the Walt Whitman, the Ben Franklin Bridge, and the Betsy Ross Bridge. And then we own and operate through a subsidiary company, the Port Authority Transit Corporation. We have a 14-mile high-speed transit line that goes from southern New Jersey through multiple towns here in, in South Jersey over the Ben Franklin Bridge into the tunnel system there in center city of Philadelphia. So we really focus on, in the engineering department, focus on capital improvement projects on each of our facilities. And we do that with a mission of stewardship, service, and community. And we look at it as if we hold these assets in trust for the public that we serve. That's awesome. And you've been in that role since 2010. So take us all the way back to however long that, that got you interested in engineering. I do want to make sure, and I, and I have a note here to make sure we touch on your role as adjunct faculty, because one of the, one of the populations we're trying to hit are those graduating seniors from, from college programs or maybe um, early stage engineers trying to figure out, hey, what are, what's the realm of the possible out there? So I think your career path and, and you know, from college to now is, is really valuable to, to hear kind of the steps along the way. Yeah, sure. So I am a, a Jersey guy. I was born here in, in southern New Jersey, traveled around a bit, but ultimately laid my, back, my way back here to southern New Jersey. So I take you out after high school. I went to Rutgers University, New Brunswick, and I studied civil engineering. So upon completion there of, of graduating at Rutgers, I started working with a company out of Allentown, Pennsylvania called Air Products and Chemicals. And they're a Fortune 500 company into the industrial gas sector. So I was working in their construction management group as an owner's representative. So right away, I, got, I moved out to Houston, Texas, and I worked on a, in a hydrogen plant out there and got to do a lot of you know, cool projects with them, moved around to a few different places around the United States. Also got to spend some time working in South Korea, building oh, wow. a, a, a gas plant for working with Samsung, and then got to actually spend some time in about a month in China some stuff together for a project so that that was pretty cool so learned a lot in the field working with a bunch of different cultures a bunch of different people 
know, a lot of different methods to get construction projects complete. But I really think that gave me sort of a really good foundation right off the, right off the start. After some time, I moved into a project engineering role. So came back to the main office and then worked just instead of just construction, sort of pulling together some of the design documents and working with engineers to pull design and procurement and all those type of things to you know, complete all, all the overall projects and stayed there for a number of years doing that. Again, got to travel here and there, but it was got to work with some great people. It was a great company, but ultimately decided to uh, relocate back back to Southern New Jersey, start a family and things like that. So, uh, but I, I decided that I wanted to be where the action was. And BJ, I, I loved the construction aspect of it, right? And it was cool to be part of the owner's representative, but I felt like I wanted to be where the action was. So I went to work for a, a local construction company uh, in, the, okay. in the water well. So I went from working on industrial gas plants, air separated <laughs> hydrogen plants, to working on water wells and water treatment facilities. So, okay. And again, that was pretty good being, being on that side of the of the fence, seeing it from the contractor side, again, a lot of fun, big learning experience. What kind of roles were you were you taking on inside of the construction company? Yeah, so my, overall, I was project engineer, and then okay. at some point, I was the division manager. But it was a smaller company, so we did everything from doing the estimating on the project, and once we won, you know, putting in the fixed cost or the competitive bids. Once we won. Get in, you know, figure out which vendors we're going to work with, which subcontractors we're going to work with, and, and get those agreements set up. Then doing the ordering for our materials, dealing with the client, things like that. So, uh, great exposure, pretty broad aspect. Yeah, yeah. So did that for a couple of years, and look, you can learn a lot, right? Being on competitive bid projects, you know, you don't, <laughs> you don't want to win by a lot, you don't want to lose by a lot, but and then actually getting the work done you know, and, and juggling the projects, allocating resources, things like that really kept you on your toes to be organized and efficient because as we learned, you know, time is money. So, Amen to that. Yeah. So that was, that was a good experience. I spent a few years working there, but I saw an opportunity at some point. I was starting a family. I saw an opportunity here at the Delaware River Port Authority. And oddly enough, I worked here at the Delaware River Port Authority as a summer student when I was going to college. So hmm. I spent the summer doing some projects here on the bridges, became interested, and then I saw an opportunity that they had some openings. So I applied to come back here, and I came back as a senior engineer. There were a couple different positions in engineering. In me, during my stint at the construction company, I was able to get my experience and then get my professional engineer license. Uh, so when I came to the DRPI, I came as a senior engineer role and just transitioned right to the public sector. So I was a you know a private. A con- uh, an owner's rep, then went to a construction company, and then moved over to uh, to the private to the to the public sector. So, so great ride. You you went from hydrogen plants to water wells to to bridges and rail assets. <laughs> You've touched everything. You've gotten an appreciation for the owner side as an owner's rep, the field side as a GC, and now the public side as the public sponsor slash owner. Pretty broad experience. What what's been the most enjoyable part of the job, or or maybe the most challenging part that's been the most rewarding for you? Yes, yeah, so that's a great question. With the, with the background like that of doing a bunch of different things, I think there's a lot of you know being in this sector yourself. I'm, I'm sure you can see there's a lot of common themes, right? So whether it's building a hydrogen plant or a water well or doing capital projects on bridges. 
there's a couple basics that really transcend all of that, right? It's having great communications. If all the projects have a schedule, all of them have a budget, right? All of them take a team to complete that work. And I think when you focus on those type of things, any project then seems seems achievable. So these the, the magnitude of projects that I'm working on here at DRPA. When we did the, the chemical plants or the industrial gas plants, there were some some big projects as well. But and the, but that was many years ago. But some of the big projects we're working on here, like the the US about challenges. So it's a whole different challenge dealing with grassroots site versus yeah. dealing with a public transportation asset where you have, still have to keep active tra- active transportation asset. Right? It's not like it's not a it's not swing space in a building that you're like, oh, we're shutting down this wing of a hospital or for renovations. You got traffic running over a bridge. So you got probably, you know, one of the most busiest thoroughfares into Philadelphia. Talk talk to us about some of those challenging projects. Yeah, so it's important that you heard me mention your words like you know, stewardship, community, and service, right? And we and the idea that we want to be able to continue to move traffic, right? Continue to connect people where they are to where they need and want to be. And whether you do that over the roadways or whether you do it through our, our train system, those asset those means of transportation still have to be there. But as you have infrastructure and as it's continuing to age, I mean Ben Franklin Bridge is coming up on hundred years old, right? You have you have a number of capital projects and maintenance projects that need to be that are always ongoing. We always have project ongoing on each of the facilities, whether it's de-letting and repainting or a rehabilitation or repair and track, replacing tracks across the Ben Franklin Bridge. We have to find innovative ways to complete that work while having minimum disruptions to the traveling public. So and we have a great we have we partner with great consultants. We have a great team of engineers here, aside from the rest, and we have a great team all around throughout the DRPA organization because it's not just engineering. Right? We have to we have to work with legal and accounting and our office of business development and homeland security and public safety. So it's got to all everything has to and bridge operations and pack operations it all has to sort of come together to make these projects successful. I I want to jump to the the stewardship and and then I want to get into kind of this most recent project that I think is the first new rail that's being imagined by DRPA in, you know, in some time. So a, a brand new capital project, but stewardship, where, where did the impetus for stewardship being part of your core values come in and what does it mean to you guys? We talk about stewardship on, on the program a lot and, and in our weekly emails, because we are, you know, we're serving the community on the public sector. We're serving, we're serving the citizens. And I know that you know, you have tolls. It's not necessarily funded by taxpayers, but it, it, at the end of the day, that's still the community is paying to to you know, entrusting you with those assets. So, what does stewardship mean to you? Where did that come from? Yeah. So, we had our our current CEO John Hansen when he came in started when when he took over as CEO. He was our former chief financial officer, and he assumed the role of chief executive officer. Uh, he started talking about to the executive staff about a mission and a vision and that we can all get once we so we established that mission and vision and it turned out that that mission and vision was found founded upon this idea of stewardship right and the idea of that we hold these assets and assets and trust for the public that we serve 
know, as you mentioned, we, we, we don't, uh, particularly on the bridges, we are toll funded. We don't get tax revenue. So that we internally have a responsibility to do the projects you know, as efficiently, as an effective, effectively as we can, and be not only good stewards of the assets, but good stewards of the, the money that we have and good stewards of the human resources that we have available to us. So it came through in our mission and vision. And we started, and, and you know, he brought that down throughout the entire organization where everyone now had a focus on you know, what's important and who we were as an organization. And then from there, we started, it started resonating to all of our partners as well. Partners here in engineering, I'll talk specifically, you know, our consultants who work on our designs and work on our construction management uh, projects to our contractors. You know, we reinforce our, the way we see ourselves, how we identify ourselves in the community and the important role that we play of connecting people. We've, that resonated out to all of all the people that work with us, and it's really made a difference. It broke down silos within our organization. You see a lot, of, a lot more collaboration, given that you know, everyone's focused on that same. And we even have around around the the hallways here. You'll see you know, the taglines: stewardship, service, and community. You'll see at our facilities to let everybody know what we believe is important. It's it's. I think it's a good news story that that needs to be heard more. And I think other public agencies need to adopt it because it is like, you know, those core values start out as words in a, in a offsite or in a, in a conference room, but then how they, you know, can permeate an entire organization and the way you do business. And I think that's really what everybody needs, right? Taxpayers that are entrusting, you know, the, the, the dollars or the, the toll payers entrusting those dollars and those assets, they want to know that, you know, their projects, those assets are being are being well cared for. Yeah. Oh, I feature that it went from mission and vision to values and behavior. You know, things that we rolled out through our own organization again, which started gelling everyone together. And it, it was very clear. One of the things that the CEO makes makes clear that you brought down through the organization. So we want to leave these assets in better condition than we found them for future generations. And when that's the mindset that you can you know, read that resonates with all of our employees, as well as you know, all of our partners, that's where good things start happening. I'm glad you said that because values are only words until you start translating it to somebody who's in the organization and saying, what do we mean by this one? Well, that job, this is what stewardship looks like. In that job, this is what stewardship looks like. And you start you know, talking about those behaviors rewarding those behaviors, highlighting those behaviors in, in meetings. And hey, we saw this core value in action by Mike last Thursday on this project. I think that's great. And I think it's a, a great leadership lesson. Moving towards Glassboro Camden line. Uh, so large project, been you know, studied and, and the EIS phase. And, and you know, talk to us about what's been going on. What is the project? What does it mean to you to have been a part of this kind of since, hey, it, it, it would be, it's in the best interest of South Jersey that we have a rail line down there, how that came about and, and where we are right now. Yeah. So I think you sort of just touched on the overarching principle right now. You know, we're enhancing public trade, public transportation here in Southern New Jersey and effectively you know, expanding the entire region. So now people from Southern New Jersey can through get on a light rail line, come here into, into Camden, and then from Camden make connections 
uh, over the Paco and SEPTA, uh, regional rail. So really expanding the whole metropolitan area by expanding mass transportation here in southern New Jersey. But you're right, it's been a project that's been around for a long time. We've even seen some, there's been studies you know, way back at the time that PACO was built. There was even talk of, you know, another spur back in the 60s. Going, uh, right. Yeah, so it has been around a long time, has resurfaced many different times. Uh, the current project, as we know it, the Splashboro Camden line started out in the early 2000s and with a feasibility study of expanding mass transportation in southern New Jersey. And it went from there uh, to an alternatives analysis phase, which ultimately the preferred alternative was to take light rail, use light rail technology, because we looked at a bunch of other different technologies, PACO technology, buses. Uh, but the, alter the preferred alternative was to, to do a light rail system, build a light rail system utilizing the existing Conrail, majority of the existing Conrail right away, which had, it had rail, passenger rail. Passenger rail at one point. Many years ago. So we're going to restore, this project will restore that as we move forward. It's, um, it's an interesting case study to watch because on the national level, inf infrastructure reinvestment is, you know, on, it was in the Trump administration's plan and, and platform. It's been in the Biden administration's plan and platform. And it's a case study in, in, you know, different snapshots in time. How do you move a project from kind of con a large infrastructure project like this from concept into analysis, into EIS and, and into funding? What are, what are some of the lessons you've learned through this, through this process? Yeah. Well, the first lesson I would say is, is just the sheer fact that, like you said, it's been around for such a long time, you know, staying on top of it and persisting, uh, you know, continue to take steps forward. On a project of this magnitude, you know, you need to you know, continue to garner support, engage the public, engage with public officials uh, or elected officials. So that's clearly one thing, right? And, and be able to explain the benefits and you know, the reasons for doing it has been something that we've been out there in public since, since they had alternative analysis phase through the EIS phase. And, and we just are starting now, it's back the end of 2022, October of 2022, we started our next phase, which is the preliminary engineering design. So we're out there again, you're talking public, talking, uh, having public meetings, getting our designs, starting to get our design together. We're going to be out in public here in the next few months, again, talking about benefits of public transportation and the things that will add to the local economy down here in, in southern New Jersey. Uh, but you know, some, aside, so you have the collaboration among, you know, earlier I talked about sort of collaboration and teamwork, and I talked about communication. So you look at those type of things on different scales, right? So as a project team, right. pull a project together, I mean, going through multiple towns and having the, the, all the complexities of doing that. So as a project team, be able to collaborate and communicate to get those things accomplished, but then to take those, you communicate and collaborate with public and then all of the big stakeholders along the way. There's a lot of stakeholders along the entire route that this that the Glassbrook and the line will touch. And it's important to get their feedback and their buy and understand what's important to them, you know, to to bring that into the project as well. So I, I wanna I I wanted to use this because I think infrastructure is this global thing that we all take for granted in, in the general public. And when it's a political hot topic I don't think we have a full appreciation for everything that goes into projects like these or investments like these. And 
you know, Mike hit on stakeholder outreach, stakeholder engagement, stakeholder analysis. And I always equate this when people talk to me about what do we do and, and what, what is strategy and planning on a, on a construction project? I'm like, well, when you're planning a kitchen renovation in your house, you have, you know, in my house, we have five stakeholders, right? Two parents, three kids. And there's really only two people that have a say in this. And when we get down to it, there's really only one person that has a say in it, right? I'm, I'm the finance budget guy, the resource manager, and my wife is the, is the vision and the, and the owner. When you're, when you're putting a 18 mile light rail through multiple towns that have, you know, all of these citizens, you've got, you know, hundreds of thousands of stakeholders that all have a voice and need to be heard and the concerns need to be understood. And I just wanted to like give that kind of sneak peek into our world because I don't think, you know, it, it's easy for somebody to be um, frustrated by a large project or this investment that, you know, oh, we've been talking about this thing for 20 years. Well, there's a reason it's been being talked about for 20 years because there are, you know, there's tensions to projects like these and investments like these. And, you know, studying it is a whole lot cheaper than building it and then, you know, figuring out it can't be built or it can't be built right or it, you know, it can't be finished. So I just wanted to take that, that moment to highlight it. Uh, so I'm glad you brought up stakeholder outreach. Inspiring People and Places is brought to you by MCFA. MCFA is a CVE-verified, service-disabled, veteran-owned small business. At MCFA, our why is to inspire people and places through project leadership. We provide planning, strategy, program management, and construction management support services to a wide variety of public and private sector clients. Switching gears to, to a bit of a rapid-fire question, Q&A. We love books. I know you love quotes as much as I do. So first two questions are uh, favorite book or, or most gifted book. And if you've got more than one, I'll take it. And the second question is favorite quote. All right. So um, I, I'm a Simon Sinek fan. So I'll, I'll give a shout out to some of his books. I, I like Start With Why. Oh, that was a good book. We actually use that in some of the leadership training that we do here at the DRPA. We did a module with that. And I really liked his latest book, The Infinite, Infinite, Infinite Game. Was a good one. That was pretty good. I'm a bit of, truth be told, I'm a bit of a Disney fan. So uh, I thought Bob Iger's Ride of a Lifetime was, was a pretty good book. We, we haven't got to catch up since Bob Iger got reinstated. <laughs> yeah. We, we got, we'll save that for another podcast. Yeah. And, and I'll, I'll give one more quick one. I was telling you, listeners who want a quick read, if you're ever taking a flight, there's a book called Peaks and Valleys. And okay. it's a very quick read. I actually bought it, read it on a, I don't know, a three hour flight or so. So it's not, but it's a book I just talks about, you know, how our life has different peaks and valleys, you know, you want to, you, but you learn sort of on your ascend up to the peak, right? You may have a plateau for a little bit, but you also learn as life takes its challenges with you, you learn on as you descend down to the valley. And when you're in that valley, you know, you just got to keep persisting, get back up to that peak. And I think I recommend that book a lot to Oh, that's a, that's a new one for me. How about favorite quote? I'm, I'm a Jim Rohn fan. So, you know, where he talks about if, if you want more, then you have to become more. You know, about the value proposition that we all all bring to our organizations. But if you want more in life, you have to become more. I love that. Continuous improvement. Dead or alive, if you could have dinner with three people, who would they be? 
So I would say I'm also a Tony Robbins fan. I don't know if you ever had a chance. Oh, I'm a huge Tony Robbins fan. You will see him live, but many, many years ago, someone told me, you know, if you ever get a chance, you should see him live. And I did have a chance to go, and I saw him live out in Las Vegas one time, and it was an experience. So uh, if I can ever hang out or have dinner, I'd love to do it. Actually, on I'd love to go to one of his seminars in Fiji, quite honestly. But uh, if I ever had a chance to have dinner, he'd be one. He, he was the first guy I saw. There was a Netflix documentary on him, I'm Not Your Guru. And he was the first guy that I saw. I, I guess he has a plunge pool in every house that he owns, which is, you know, multiple houses. Um, so that was the first time I saw that. Yeah. All right. So Tony Robbins is at the dinner table. Who else? Yeah. You said that are alive. So I'm a John Wooden fan. So oh. if I had a chance. I would love to sit down with John Wooden. And number three. Three. I do a lot of reading about Warren Buffett, so if I had a chance, I would love to. to uh, one of these days, I'd love to make it out to one of their uh, shareholder meetings. But in fact, I just read his latest annual report letter. I, I want to hit on one more before we get to legacy and tombstone. What What are you seeing in the industry that is either impressing you or frustrating you? Are you seeing any innovation? That, that you're inspired by? Which, what's your view of kind of the general engineering construction industry right now? Yeah, so BJ, I think that, that's a, a great question. So I'll just, I'll, I'll step back to, to answer this question. You said when we first started to talk a little bit about, or don't forget to mention about the adjunct instructor role. Yeah, yeah. First. So you, then to fast forward to your question today about you know, what am I inspired about moving forward? I think we have a great, Certainly, things have changed over the years, and we continue to learn, right? But you also use the word innovation. I think that's what this new group of current graduates are bringing to the table, and I think we need it in in our profession. Is just new ways of doing things. You know, we're trying to do a lot of projects, especially with the federal funding coming out. There's a lot of work going on out there, so there is a challenge to be able to get all of the work completed with the people available to do it. So, finding new innovative ways. And I think that I'm excited about some of the new graduates coming out that have new ideas of how we can get things done with the newest technologies that maybe, you know, I won't say you, but particularly myself, I don't have much experience with, right? So we need those new thoughts and ways to get things done. So I'm encouraged by that, for sure. And I do want to hit the adjunct faculty. I think it's awesome that you do it. Uh, I want us. I want to hold us both accountable because you asked me to review it, and you're writing it. So, we'll, we'll talk to us about the book that you're working on. Yeah, yeah. So, working on is probably an understatement because it's something <laughs> that I'm trying to do for a number of years. I had an opportunity. It's publisher to ask if I'd be interested, and I said sure. You know, so um, look, we all learned in different ways. Ways we've all had. We've we've learned. Where someone had taught us, we learned the hard way coming up, right? We sought out mentors and things like that, which are you know, all good ways to learn. But over the years of teaching, I've, I've found that some of the things that are on the mind of uh, civil engineering or engineering graduates are, are kind of the same year to year. And then, you know, some of the newer graduates as they're starting their careers may reach back out and ask some things. And I felt like, you know, there's a few things that some, 
like I said, I learned multiple different ways. So one day I decided I'm going to try to put that into a, a book. Say, you know, here's the things that you may not be taught in school that are good to know that, that uh, I learned from different people, whether it be, you know, the importance of finding a mentor, you know, and being able to network, the importance of you having a good resume and getting out there and, and doing your best on the days that on your interviews, you know, talking about the importance of because sometimes we think about engineering and we think about the calculations and, and the things that we learn in school, but there's a whole business side to what we do every day and how to build those relationships to continue to bring business in. Uh, so anyway, I, I put a book together about 90% complete and hopefully be published here for the summer. Awesome. Legacy. What do you want on your tombstone? How do you want to be remembered? <laughs> yeah. So look, I just wanted to, I just want to remember to someone who did the right thing for the right reasons. Someone who spent time with his family, spent time with his friends, uh, and, and just did what he can to, to make the world a better place. All right. And then to close us out, any, you know, the, the, the floor is yours. Any message you want to send to our industry, and, and in particular, because you, you're adjunct faculty and dealing with, you know, those graduating seniors, I'd love you to hit that message. But I, I also think that you have a unique perspective as a public owner, you know, to our industry, you have the chance to tell us, the consultants, the AEs, the construction companies, you know, tell us what you need from us and also tell your peers how, you know, you think you're getting the most out of, you know, your partnerships with private industry. So I'm putting a lot of lot of heat on you, but but I, I really do think that you you hold such a critical role in the stewardship of of public assets, and I think it's it's an undervalued role, and it's one of the main reasons we wanted to have this podcast was to highlight people like you that are stewards that are champions for your organizations and champions for you know stewardship of those public assets. I'll start with the industry stuff, and then I'll sort of go into what you said about the uh, bits of closing remarks. So we're we're in challenging times. You know, like I mentioned before, there's a lot of work out there. Many of the engineering firms that we work with, and actually including ourselves, you know, we're struggling with retaining, hiring, and retaining people. Right. So the challenge is how do we get all of the work done? How do we do it efficiently and effectively? And how do we do it? with utmost quality. And I think some of the, the basics that we talked about, uh, you know, about communication with clients, you know, and putting, putting our teams together and, and focusing on all those little things, you know, part of, part of what we do, I'll diverge just for a second, BJ, we do some, I mentioned before that we do some leadership training here, right? And one of the things that we do is our CEO has done some improv training, brought some of the lessons of improv here into, and how it can relate those improv lessons and how they relate here to our daily business, right? And one of the, the, the things that we do when we do our improv exercises, is learning how to you know, effectively communicate, learning how to trust each other, right? And be able to, to support each other, no matter what, you know, in the improv world, right? You know, you can't fail because your partner is there to support you. But one of the things that always sticks out and one of the, the things that we always talk about is, you know, you just... When, when you're in a scene or when you have, have some kind of challenge, right, how it relates to businesses, you just do the next little thing or the next right thing, right? And that's what keeps that scene moving. And, and I, 
I take that to heart because here, when we do projects, we always we always found we always find challenges, right? There's always things thrown our way each day on construction sites or with our designs and things. But when you get to those sticking points, if you take those basic lessons of you know, the collaboration and and being support your team, and then just do that next little thing and that next right thing, I think those those are ways that we work together where everyone can be successful, right? It doesn't have to be where one person has to lose for the other person to win. We all can be successful together. And I think take that mindset into each of the projects. uh, I think that's what we look for, uh, particularly, you know, I would say that's what we look for here as an owner, a partner with those type of firms. True partnerships. I love it. All right. Closing, closing remarks, closing inspiration. Yeah, I mean, you said specifically, you know, looking at the the adjunct instructor angle as, as well as you know some of the, the workforce development things like that. You know, what worked for me, and you know, what works for me isn't going to work for everybody. Same, you know, worked for you. We're all individual people. But some of the key things that really I did from when I started is, you know, I never stopped learning. So whether you know after my degree, I you know, got a I wanted to get an advanced degree. I wanted to get a surveyor license. So I went back to school to get a degree in surveying to get my professional land surveyor license. And to this day, I continue to take seminars or certificate programs just to keep expanding you know, and learning what's new because things change, change so fast. So I think the continual learning is important. And then I think understanding what's going on around you, right? Understand yourself so you can understand other people. And I'll tell you a quick growing, a quick growing uh, adjunct story. You know, I real I started, I guess in 2013 or so, and back then the student maybe there was like 27 engineers, and now class size is about 100, right? For there's oh wow, I teach it's called civil engineering practice. They're seniors, but I realized this year that as the students are changing, and some of the things I still teach the same sort of topics, but the way I do it and the guest speakers that I bring in are that. The, the teaching method, I actually said as my closing class this year, is you all taught me something, right? So I'm not above learning. I learn from them as much as they learn from me. And, I, you know, I learned that I have to evolve as an instructor the way students are evolving, the way they learn. And so mm. they learn differently today than they did because of whether it be online or some of the things they experienced they had through COVID, they're learning different. So we have to continue to evolve. So I had to understand how to be effective with them and evolve myself. So I think that's just part of the, the, the journey that we're all on. And then the last thing I'll say, you know, is, is you know, giving back, whether whether it be teaching, whether it be mentoring, we have to we have to bring up the next generation of engineers, of planners, right? So the same way people helped us, uh, I'll venture to say like even through your military experiences, right? You had People who taught you how to be a great leader, taught you how to be a great soldier, and taught you how to do things the same way here for me. I've had some great mentors in my life, and I'm you know, forever grateful for the things that they did for me. And I think it's incumbent upon all of us to do that for the next generation of engineers. Pay it forward. Amen to that. Mike Venuto, Chief Engineer, DRPA, thank you so much for taking the time and sharing your insights and experiences. Thank you, BJ. It was a pleasure. Great having you. Hey, everybody. If you're enjoying this show, do us a favor and subscribe to Inspiring People and Places on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast hosting platform. 
We'd also greatly appreciate if you left us a review and shared this with other entrepreneurial public servants and all your friends and family in the AEC space. Be sure to visit our website, www.mcfaglobal.com. Sign up for our newsletter to stay in touch with us and learn about all of the projects and clients we're helping. Last but not least, we are hiring. We are always hiring. Do us a favor. Take a look at what jobs we have open. Contact us through our website or connect with me on LinkedIn. Until next time, have a great rest of your week and a great weekend.